Welcome. You are listening to The Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm Meryl Arnett, mama, meditator, and head of mindfulness for Shoreline Meditation App. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a 20-minute guided meditation. If these meditations support you and your practice, please consider donating to the show to support its continued growth, new offerings, and its ever-expanding team. You can find the link in today's show notes or simply visit merylarnett.com and click on podcast. All right, y'all, let's practice. Well, hello there, my friends. I hope you're doing well. I have a wonderful interview to share with you today. This interview is with Dr. Tracy Baxley, who just wrote a book called Social Justice Parenting, How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice-Minded Kids in an Unjust World. And y'all, when I tell you I have read this cover to cover and am making my way through it a second time, I am not exaggerating. This book is so good. It is such an important read, and I am thrilled to share this discussion with you today. So I want to tell you a little bit about Tracy, but first what I want to do is just take a second to address why we would have a conversation about social justice on a meditation podcast. And as you know, if you have listened for any amount of time, one of the things that I try to focus on quite a bit is that our meditation practice is not just about being seated on a cushion. It's not just about having insight and connection and awareness of self. But ultimately, it's the way that awareness, that insight, that awakeness expands our connection to the world. And I think it is without doubt, without question, that as practitioners, we are asked to step into a very active role in our society. We're asked to show up and engage in the values and beliefs that we experience as true because of our meditation practice. This is one such conversation that we're going to have today is how do we take the values and beliefs that we possess and turn them into action in the world? And I'm so happy to tell you that this book and Tracy in general does an unbelievable job of knocking away the barriers, of eliminating the distractions, and offering up not only small, but unbelievably easy ways to step into the role of an activist for yourself or your family. This book is very much written for parents. I will say, as I read it, I think it's applicable to every single person on the planet. I really do. You don't have to have kids to find use in this book. So let me just tell you a little bit about Tracy. Dr. Tracy Baxley is a professor, a consultant, a parenting coach, a speaker, mother to five biracial children, and the creator of Social Justice Parenting. 
an educator for over 30 years with degrees in child development, elementary education, curriculum and instruction. She specializes in diversity, inclusion, anti-bias curriculum, and social justice education. I'm so excited to introduce Dr. Tracy Baxley to you. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I basically want to be her best friend now. Um, Let's jump into the conversation. All right. Well, Dr. Tracy Baxley, welcome to the Mindful Minute. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of what you're bringing to the world. Thank you. I cannot wait to dive into this book with you. Um, and I wonder if maybe you would start just by telling us a little bit about who you are in the world. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I am Tracy Baxley, and I am a mother of five, which is my primary role in life. <laughs> and um, I'm also a professor, and I teach courses in curriculum and development and multicultural education. So this idea of belonging and inclusion is really part of who I am at home and at work. I am the mother of five biracial children. My husband is white. So we live in a space of um, creating belonging at home. And also I work a lot with families who are looking for ways to raise their children that they will become change agents in the world. So we do a lot with anti-racism, raising kids who are more compassionate, more kind, more justice-minded. And so... I get to play kind of all these roles in all areas of my life, which is really, um, you know, my, my passion in a lot of ways. Mm. And what's the age range of your kids? They are 21 to 12. So wow. I have two that I just sent off to school. Well, my daughter back to school and then my oldest son is a freshman um, this year. And then I have three that are still home. That is amazing. Wow. I have yeah. two and... I, I can't imagine five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yes. awesome. Organized chaos every Organized day. Organized <laughs> chaos. That's good. I love that. So you have just released into the world a new book called so- Social Justice Parenting. And as I said before we hit record, I'm actually on my second time reading it through. You know, the first time I initially I was like, well, let me just get the tone of the book and kind of get some some nuggets from it. And then it was so good. I was like, well, I got to finish it. I have to read the oh. whole thing and see. And now I'm going back and working through some of the journal prompts because it really is a book that asks you to take your time and be reflective and willing to explore. And I thought maybe let's start with probably you know, the most important question for listeners that maybe haven't done any work in this realm before. What is social justice parenting? Yeah. I think social justice parenting is the antidote to fear-based parenting. Mm. So we often parent from this place of fear, like wanting to be a good parent, wanting to protect our kids from things that are negative or could be considered bad in the world. And then in protecting them, we create this almost like a barrier around them. And it really stifles them in terms of their curiosity their ways of interacting with others. And I think social justice parenting is really about us being mindful and intentional about the practices of parenting. It's about making sure we're raising children who have experiences 
that not aren't necessarily pleasant, but that are helping them to develop these habits of being more compassionate and being more kind. And I think more than anything, it's about how we are reflecting on our own practices as, as parents based on our childhood experiences, based on our own maybe stereotypes or limited beliefs about others and how we are making conscious efforts not to pass those on to our children, but instead raising our children to ask more questions about the things that we may be more afraid of and how we can make a difference in the world through the way we raise our children. You know, you write in the beginning of the book how you hope that this book is read as if we're two friends sitting over a cup of tea and you so achieved that goal. I thought, even though you're writing about hard topics and important topics and not necessarily easy to sit down and read. It feels safe and inviting and encouraging. And you talk about some things that I think are um, perhaps really easy for white progressive families to miss in their own homes. And one of the things that you speak to so clearly and beautifully is the difference between raising, I'm going to say, quote unquote, good people and social justice or justice-oriented people. And I wonder if you would talk a little bit about why there's a distinction between those two and why we need to pay attention to not just the good people motif that we lean into sometimes. Yeah, I, I want. Let, let me start that off by giving you kind of an example that's um, more recent. When the death of George Floyd, right, was obviously pivotal in our country, and when Derek Chauvin's mom stood up in the court when he was being sentenced, one of the things she said um, out loud was that Derek is such a good person, and that resonated with me so much because so many parents that I work with who are afraid to really step out and say, I want to raise anti-racist children. They hide behind that we're raising good children. We're raising our children to be kind. That That is a blatant example of how that's not enough. And I think if we are going to raise a generation of children who are real change agents in the world, we have to tackle the hard topics we have to tackle the topics that make us uncomfortable as parents, that may make us rethink the way that we were raised, and that may make us expand our own knowledge around topics. And we can't do that just raising good people. We have to be more proactive and digging a little bit deeper if we want to change some of the things that are going on or really the divide that's in our country right now that don't lean into the humanity in each other and being good, we're seeing it's, it's just not enough. And if, if, if things are going to change, it has to begin. Like I always talk about parenting as activism and, you know, the things that we teach, the values that we teach our core values that we teach in our homes those are the things that our children will take out into the world. And so if you're not really being proactive in raising children who are going to make a difference in a positive way in the world, the activism that's going on in our home is going to show up in the, in the real world later. 
So I think being direct, honest, and tackling those hard issues, right? Moving away from the fear is really what's needed in order to make that shift. And um, I'm, I'm going right into all the common comments, I think. But so then the next one that comes up is immediately, well, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. And like, how do, how do I talk to my six-year-old about George Floyd? How do I talk about that, right? That, does yes. that come up a lot? I would assume it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody thinks their ch- children is, are either too young or I'm talking about everybody else's child and not theirs. Of course. Right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to start off by basically saying children are never too young. Children start to recognize the difference between race and the power and privilege that race holds in our country pretty much right away. By the time they're entering school, they've already gotten all these messages. They already have some inclination what's going on and whether they are part of those people who have more privilege and power in certain aspects and when they don't. I mean, a great example of that is um, the doll study by the Clark uh, psychologist who did the study that really helped make the decision about the board versus education court case, right? Because they did brought in all these different color dolls, you know, from light white to dark brown. And they had kids talk about which is a good child, which is a bad child, which is a child that you want to be. And all of these black children from the time they were five to the time they were nine, their psychology or their psyche of being black was shown that it was completely impacted. They didn't want to be the black children. They pointed to the black dolls as being the bad ones. When they were asked questions like, which, which doll looks more like you? They cried because they didn't want to be the child that looked more like the black dolls. So if we are thinking that our children don't already pick up these messages, we are living um, in a world that doesn't really exist for our kids. And I always say to my clients, do you want to be the one? to direct these messages or are you okay with the world doing it for you? And so they are being given these messages through videos, through media, through the TV, through your reactions to people around you. If you have no diversity around you, that's sending a message as well. And so you want to be in the front of these messages and how we show up for our children in terms of talking about race and talking about issues around racial injustices should be important enough for you to not stay in the silence. And sometimes when they're younger, it's just a matter of acknowledging that there are differences, acknowledging that in the world, sometimes we're treated differently because of the color of our skin or because of what we have or don't have. And sometimes you let your children you know, ask the question or allow their natural curiosities to lead the conversation, but you always have to create these safe spaces to have these conversations with their children. So you do such a good job, I think, of clarifying why it matters that we pay attention to these, um, I'm going to call them escape routes that we can create for ourselves as white parents. But then the rest of your book gives you 
such manageable steps. I mean, I think you do a really clear job of not just saying you have to do this hard thing. You have to, you know, create a, a more open dialogue and bring some action into your family culture, but you really break down small ways to start doing this. And so you use the acronym ROCKS, which I really like. And maybe you could talk us through that briefly. Yeah. My goal in the book was to make it as practical as possible so that it wasn't just a parent read, but it was something that parents could really do with their children. That was really important to me. So thank you for saying that because that was really the intention behind the book. But the social justice parenting platform or building blocks all stem around these rocks. And the rock stands for reflection, um, which is often the part that parents want to skip. Because that's it's hard, you know, digging into your own experiences, your own childhood to make conscious choices about what I'm going to keep in my parenting and what I need to make some changes with. How do I work on myself so that I'm getting rid of some things that no longer serve me in the way that I want to raise my children? So the reflection piece is first. The O stands for open dialogue. So that is how do I have these hard conversations with myself? Um, and then how do I have these hard conversations with my children? And then how do we use that open dialogue at home to really serve our community and the world? So that's the O, open dialogue. The C is for compassion. So again, starting with self, how do you work on self-compassion? And I saw your, I heard your interview with Kristen, mm -hmm. um, which <laughs> I use her in my book too, you know, that her work is just so wonderful. Um, but starting with self-compassion, and then how do you show compassion to your children, which then teaches your children how to show compassion out in the world. Um, the K is for kindness. So this is compassion and action. So it's the same way, you know, how do we show kindness to ourselves, to our kids, and to the world? And then the S is the social engagement piece. How do we then start to teach our kids about activism and what that looks like for our family? What are those important passion projects that we have in our own homes that we can start making a difference in the world? You know, I, um, as a meditation teacher, one of the things that I try to focus on quite a bit in, in teaching meditation is that it's not just a practice of sitting on your cushion and I'm, in, I'm recording this in my closet, in your closet and like doing your little meditation, having these insights, and then they just stay inside you. But it's a process of that inward reflection, that inward um, awareness or waking up to moving out into the world, to creating action based on what you learn. And as I was reading your, your book and going through these letters, I was like, these are the, these are the steps. Like here, it starts with reflection. It starts with this, I'm willing to look inside and wake up. I'm willing to be honest about what I see, ultimately stepping into how am I going to move this forward into the world? And, you know, again, I'll say like in the open dialogue section, you list some unbelievably simple conversation starters that I think without that nudge, maybe wouldn't come up. Right. And so you read them and you think, well, I can, I can ask that question at the dinner table. And so I do that. And then I move through the compassion and the kindness. And then you get to that activism piece. And again, 
it's not this, like, I have to do this huge monumental change the world, but can we talk about what matters to our family and how might we step into that in some manageable way? And, you know, I just kudos to you for making it so simple seems like the wrong word. So attainable, right? Like I could do this as a mom who is stressed out and busy with only two kids, not five. I don't have an excuse. Yeah, I think uh, you really kind of hit it on the ne- on the head, really. This idea of rethinking or reshaping the way we see activism, that it's not this big thing out there that only certain people do, but it's the small little things that we do in our daily lives with our children. It's activism because it's building our children to be the people who are going to create belonging in the world. And I always say social justice parenting is about creating belonging and safe space in our homes so that we're raising children who will know how to do that in the world. Um, And that's what the rocks really are. I'm hoping that will do. They will start building those conversations, those um, actions in our homes that will have this kind of rippling effect out into the world as, as our children began to be the leaders, you know, in the spaces out in the world. When I was reading this, I continued to be so impressed with the mindfulness that you bring to your parenting. And I know I'm only getting a snapshot in the book, but there were, you know, there were a couple of pieces that really spoke to me as a mom, and I just want to highlight them. So one example that I was like, oh, I'm going to implement this in my house was, um, I believe it was with one of your sons and maybe he wasn't a, a huge communicator and you left an open journal with questions in his room. Will you tell us that story? Yes. This was my oldest son who at that point was exhibiting some OCD symptoms, not you know what traditionally people think of you know neatness, but it was these intrusive thoughts. And he was getting at that age, you know, middle school where he wasn't talking to me as much, but I knew there was a lot going on that he needed to have come out. And so we started a system where I would write a journal entry to him and we both put it in each other's, in the top drawer um, of our dresser drawers. And I would ask him a question or say something to him. And then he would write his feelings back to me in the journal when he wanted to say something or ask my question. And then I would find it at some point in my drawer. And so that is how we really started getting the diagnosis on him and him starting to express that because he also wrote poetry and he would write some poets, some poems to me or lyrics in that journal that I was able to, to get an insight to what was going on inside his mind. Um, and that journal was very helpful to us getting really conversations around what was going on with him, getting the right help, um, getting us into therapy. And um, the psychiatrist that he saw basically said, like, you're, you're so lucky because this is the age where boys tend to shut down more and they tend to seek more negative ways of dealing with these kinds of feelings. And I, I really owe it to that idea of us journaling back and forth that gave him 
permission to talk and get his feelings down on paper. So it was very helpful for us, for us at that time when he was going through that kind of adolescent time where he was trying to figure things out. I think that's such a creative solution to creating connection yes. and creating that safe space for open dialogue, right? I mean, he was able to voice what he was really feeling in a way that felt safe to him. And I, I, I loved the, um, the inquiry that created for me as a parent to think about how am I creating space for my children to talk? And then I'll segue into the story I just read last night as I'm making my way through a second time is your son, one of your sons burned his hand cooking dinner and was fine, fine, but then kept getting up in the middle of the night and you're tired and the day is done and you don't have the patience, which is my lived experience. I'm sure every lived parent's right. lived experience every single day is like bedtime, you're exhausted. Yes. And I loved that you, you can, I'll let you tell the story, but I love that you caught it in yourself and then went and made time for that connection, despite the fact that you had already been like, I'm tired, I'm done, go to bed. Yes, right? I thought the day was over, right? Right. <laughs> Once you get them in the bed, you kind of exhale and think you're done for the day. Yeah. So we had developed this system, especially while I was writing the book and we were, when we were home in COVID because we were all there all day where everybody had a night that they had to cook dinner. And so of the four, four, like if your night is Monday, of the four Monday nights, you can choose one day to eat out. Otherwise you've got to figure it out. <laughs> and so he, this is my youngest son who is 12. Uh, I guess he was 11 at the time. He was cooking dinner and um, he forgot that the handle of the pot was hot that he had gotten out of the oven. Um, and so he went to go grab to move it over and it burnt his hand and um, it, it was, it wasn't a severe burn, but it was, it was bad enough that you can see that it was a burn. So we had been kind of icing it all day and taking care of it all day. And then that evening we were all watching basketball. It was like the, uh, you know, the finals and our semifinals and our team, the Miami Heat, they were playing. And so we were very loud and animated and very excited about the game. And I let them stay up a little bit later to finish the game. And then the game was over. It's time for bed. Everybody got in bed and then he, he kept coming out. And I was at that point, like you said, just, I was done, figured everybody was in bed. I could just kind of be for a minute. And he was complaining about his hand and I was getting angry because the two or three hours leading up to the bedtime, he hadn't complained about it. And as I sat there and sent him back to the room the third time, I started kind of reflecting on the day. Like this kid had cooked dinner, he had burned his hand. He, such a compassionate kid that I was not showing any of that compassion, right? And I started thinking, is it me being tired or is this kid really in, in pain? And so ultimately, after reflecting on how I was treating him, which was not with radical love, um, I did get up and go in the room and apologize that, um, acknowledge what he had done that day and apologize for not being there and listening. And within 15 minutes of me just laying there with him and just kind of rubbing him a little bit, he had gone right to sleep, but he needed me in that moment. And I was just at some point was too tired to really acknowledge that. And I had to like you say, be mindful and reflect on, on, on the way I showed up and it wasn't my best self. But I think 
that is the reflection that I have to use often when I, when my behavior does not align with the core values that um, are important to my family. Do you have a specific practice or work that you've done that you credit with developing this unbelievable mindful awareness as a parent? You know, I think that's the place I had been meditating. Let's see, like seven years <laughs> before my son was born, a while. And when he was born, I was like, oh my God, this is, I have so much more work to do. I thought I was this like Zen meditation queen. And then this little person comes into my life and turns me inside out. And the work of being a mindful parent is the work, in my opinion. I would love yes. to know the work that you've done to, to cultivate that in your own life. I think, and I do, I meditate too. I, I do, um, I, I don't do long meditations, but I'll do 10, 10 minutes in the morning and then I'll do 10 or 15 minutes at night. So um, I, I fit it in with what works for my lifestyle and those things right now are working. And I think my mindfulness, just as a human being, really um, aligned with my, I'm an empath. And so I take on a lot of probably unnecessarily people's pains. And like, for example, I just came back from taking my son to, to college and my husband didn't go with me because he stayed home with the other kids. But my older sister flew out with me to just support me in that. And she's very much into politics, very much into the news. And she would see something on her Twitter and she would tell me out loud, tell me out loud. And I finally had to say to her, <laughs> I, I can't do that. Like my body, everything you say to me, I am taking it in and it becomes overwhelming. And so very early on, I've learned how to be mindful in my body when things are too much. And I think that is part of how I show up as a parent. I feel my kids' emotions a lot and I have to question whether the feelings that they have, these big feelings are somehow related to the way that I showed up. And it's made me kind of think about how I show up and what I need to do to make sure that the way I'm showing up isn't impacting them in a negative way. And, and not saying that I'm perfect at that because I have a lot of times that my kids now that they're older, they call me on it. Like they keep me, honest. <laughs> and I sometimes don't want to hear it, but I sit with it, you know? And then when I, after I've, I'm able to kind of reflect on it some, I'm big on parents saying, apologizing to their kids when they're out of line, right? When they're not, when I mean out of line, I mean not in alignment with the core values of your house because it teaches our kids to know that they can't be perfect and then when they are out of alignment, that they need to be doing the same thing. So modeling that is really important to me. So I get it wrong often, but I then come back and try to align who I am and what I'm trying to teach my kid with the way that I'm parenting. Mm. So it is, a, it is an ongoing practice, just like our meditation practices, right? Um, and um, I don't always get it right, but I do try to acknowledge when I do get it wrong. I just want to 
call out for the listeners that a mom of five just said she meditates 10 minutes (laughs) twice a day. So don't be emailing me that you don't have time to meditate because we all have time to meditate. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Listen, it helps. It helps. It does (laughs) help. And I am a huge proponent of small, consistent practices. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes a day. 10 minutes once a day makes a difference. That's amazing, right? So um, you mentioned core values, which you also pull out and give us some actual work to do to create our family core values. Can you tell us a little bit about how you created your family core values and why it matters to have that awareness? Yeah, I I think core values are essential to families. And if you have older kids, it's really essential that you you kind of fold them into the creation of your core values. I see core values as almost like your GPS, right, of your family, because there are a lot of outside influences on our children. There are a lot of um, work deadlines we have, right, that, that pull us for, away from our families. And I think core values are a way of, again, bringing you back in alignment. Core values teach our kids what's really important. They are really the legacy that we really leave for our kids. When my kids are away at college right now, I'm hoping that if they do something that is out of alignment with who they are and the core values that they were raised with, that those core values will somehow put them back on the path at some point and lead them to being the the children that I, the human beings, the adults that I, that we intentionally try to raise. Um, And I think being clear about those really helps you to see when you are not in alignment. Um, if you don't have those core values laid out, written out, and they are very clear with you and your partner, that it won't be as clear for your children when they're out of alignment. Um, and so I think we try to have our family meetings around those core values. Uh, we try to when we're out of alignment, we call those core values like, you know, are you your brother's keeper right now? Are you living, you know, according to that core value? So we have like five core values that we have in our house that, and my kids will call call me out on it too, you know? Are you owning your own junk, mom? Like, are you looking at your my perspective or are you only seeing your own, right? And so um, because they're clear, because my kids know what they are, because we've talked about them. We've written them down. They know when when one of us is not in alignment with them, and they really help make decisions that they make more clear. I want to ask you a question that has nothing to do with the book, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but I have, in the last month, probably had a conversation with every single parent I know about school and COVID. What am I doing? Am I is my kid going in person? Am I pulling my kid out? What's what are you doing? How are you navigating this? And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts, advice, nudges for parents that are struggling right now with how to support our children in this moment. It is not easy, and there is no one right answer. But I think it's very important that you are creating safe spaces in your home where children can talk about these big feelings. 
I know often I hear parents telling kids what they should feel in these moments. And we have to be very careful that we, and safe space for one kid looks very different from safe space from another kid, even within a family. And I think talking about our fears is important for our kids too, so that they know that they are not alone in those fears. Creating a plan for your family where kids know that we've thought about this and this is what we're doing and why we're doing these things. I think involving your children in some of this decision-making or hearing why you made certain decisions is really important because oftentimes with these big, hard topics, parents want to shield their kids from them. Um, They think they're too hard to, to listen to or to have conversations around. But in having those conversations, your children actually feel more safe because they know where we stand as a family. We know what the plan is as our family. And we've had input in that family plan. So I I think my biggest suggestion would be having safe places, having conversations around it, letting your children know that you have some fear, but that you guys will all get through it together and that things ultimately will be okay. And this is what our family is going to do about it. Thank you. I love that answer. And I think that is so helpful as we're all doing our best to navigate some really tough decisions and times. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you were hoping to talk about? Um, Not that I can think of. I just think that staying mindful is really the ultimate goal and not being perfect, right? We're we're not going to be perfect in this idea of parenting and that you're not alone when things don't go well. I think talking more to other parents is really important who are going through the same things and um, always know we're all a work in progress. Dr. Tracy Baxley, thank you so much. Tell us your book, where we can find it. And also, I know you have some courses. You do some online coaching or one-on-one coaching. So tell us a little bit about how we can have more of you in our lives. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Yes, so the book hits the shelf uh, October 19th. Everything is in, uh, you can order it right away. And um, it's in all uh, major outlets and also independent uh, bookstores as well. And um, if you want to be a part of what I call the village, the Social Justice Parenting Village, a lot of the action happens on Instagram at Social Justice Parenting. And the courses and the the one-on-one coaching or the small group coaching can be found at my website, which is socialjusticeparenting.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Mindful Minute. If you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving me a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps others to find this show. To learn more about my live classes, virtual meditation retreats, my meditation app Shoreline, or to make a donation to the show, please visit MerylArnett.com. Thanks again. I'll see you next week.